Now it's time for the Disney View podcast. Please move across your car to make room for everyone. Our podcast will begin momentarily. Join Dave as he makes his grand circle tour around the Walt Disney World Resort. Dave is a dreamer and an engineer who enjoys the magic and wonder of it all, but understands Disney's place in history and respects the legacy that's been left. Come along and hear Dave's thoughts about Walt Disney World and see it through Dave's eyes. Please stand clear of the podcaster. Por favor, manténganse alejado del David. And now, here's your host. Hey everyone, it's Dave. Welcome to another edition of Dave's Disney View Podcast. On today's podcast, I wanted to talk about the gondola system. Well, the old gondola system. With the addition of the gondola system that they're putting in at the Walt Disney World Resort that's going between the various resorts, Disney's Hollywood Studios and Epcot, I'm reminded distinctly of the original Skyway system, the gondola system that they had at both Disneyland, Disney World, and the Tokyo Disney Resort, and that's the Skyway. The Skyway system was a very similar type of gondola-based system that they had in place as an attraction at all three of the theme parks. So I wanted to take a look back in history and talk about some of the history of that particular attraction and how it came to be and how it relates back to where we are today. So back in the 1950, in 1955, when uh, Walt Disney opened Disneyland, he had this idea for a futuristic Tomorrowland where there would be some cool things. And he was meeting with different uh, companies about how to come up with some cool innovations and something different. So, you know, they were working with Alweg and talking about a monorail system. And they were talking about different types of uh, transportation vehicles. And they were, had companies investing in the technology and doing some things with it. So somehow along the way, uh, one of his uh, web designers met with somebody from the Von Roll Corporation that's based out of Switzerland. Now Von Roll, what they make is gondolas. And they had installed a number of gondolas around Europe and into Asia, I believe. But up until that point, they hadn't created any in the United States. So Walt Disney entered into, into a contract with them to create a gondola system to install the, at the Disneyland Resort, and it opened in 1956. Now, the Von Roll Corporation did everything from soup to nuts. They worked with the web designers, but it's really their design that's, that's in the original incarnation of the uh, Skyway. Now, Walt was thinking very forward, and he was thinking about how do, we, how do we get people to Tomorrowland? So he called it the Skyway to Tomorrowland to get people to think about the futuristic way of getting in to Tomorrowland, even though futuristic may be a little bit of a misnomer, but it looked really cool because it was hanging buckets that were moving along. So the Skyway is actually a very simple system. If you are familiar with the cable cars in uh, San Francisco or any place else, it's a very similar technology. The way the cable car works is underground, there's a giant cable that goes in a loop. So it goes from point A to point B, and the cable car sits on top of the street, has a little thing that goes down in the street that grabs onto the cable. The cable is always moving. It's always in motion. It's going about you know five miles an hour just pulling along. The cable car just has that thing that grabs on. The conductor just grabs it and just uh, uses the handle to grab it, basically. And it just hooks onto it, and the cable car moves because the cable is moving. And that's it. Then when they want to stop, they, they pull the brakes and they release the cable. And that's it. And that's how it works. It's that simple. The, ca the gondola system is really no different. You've got a giant cable in the sky instead of under the ground, and it's going in a loop that continuously moves. The cable is made of steel, and it's just it's a, a rope steel, you know, so it's actually very, very strong, uh, very durable. And it just moves along and keeps moving in a big loop that goes from one destination to another. 
So it actually goes went from Fantasyland to Tomorrowland in a giant loop. Now, because of the distance, they've got to have stanchions in between that hold up the cable and uh, maintain it at a, at a certain height. And they can vary the height as they're going along. And eat, along there, there's these wheels that are uh, on the... Uh, on the stanchions, on these uh, holding points that keep the cable in place and help guide it to make sure that it's always going in the right place. So it's a very clever design that way. Then what the cars do, the cars themselves do, is they actually just grab onto that cable the same way that the cars grab onto the cable car. Uh, the cable cars grab onto the cable underground. Same principle, they grab onto the cable above you and they get pulled along. Now at the stations, when guests are going to exit or board the vehicles, it actually releases from the cable and continues to slide around on a giant wheel. And uh, the wheel moves, it moves the uh, car along at a very slow speed and it can be pushed a little bit so that there's plenty of time for the guests to get in or out of the car. And then they just basically push it back to the end where it reattaches to the cable. There's a little uh, mechanical mechanism that once it passes that point, it just clamps back on the cable and just gets pulled along again. Like I said, very simple. And there's just, it's an electric motor that just continues to move the cable and move the cable and move the cable. And that's it. So it continues to move along. There's, you know, so many cars. I think at both, at all three of the Disney parks, it was about 50 cars they'd have on the track at any time. Uh, they could take them out for maintenance, put them back on and so forth. It wasn't so hard to do that because of the way the cables were designed. Once it's detached from the cable, you can actually uh, push it along and take it off of the, uh, take it off the track if you need to. So it kind of goes along that way. It goes up and goes across, and it would go all the way from, uh, in, in all three of the parks, it was a Tomorrowland to Fantasyland attraction. It was a D ticket, so it was a really big attraction. Uh, remember that they did A through E, E being the biggest attractions, D being one step down, and those are the you know pretty good size attractions that really require you to think about them as, as really big attractions, right? So you're really thinking about it as something cool. Um, at the Tomorrowland side, in both, in all three parks, it was a kind of a low level. It was, you know, maybe, you know, uh, one story up from the ground, half a story up from the ground, something like that. But in the Fantasyland location, it was actually two stories up. And the reason for that is quite simple. To maintain the balance on the cables, they have to actually counterbalance it and pull the cables down or up slightly to balance the weight and the load that's going across the cables. You have a long cable that's going a long distance around the park and then returning. The only way to make sure that you can keep the weight balanced is to actually put these counterweights inside a building on the upper part. So in the Fantasyland side, if you ever noticed, if you've ever looked at pictures or you remember it at all, the uh, building was actually up on a hill. And part of the building, you would walk through part of the building, then you would board the, uh, uh, board the attraction. And it looked kind of clever. It was a cleverly themed thing. But they actually did that for the very simple reason that they could put the weights inside the building and part of the part of the area there so that the weights could counterbalance what was going on with the uh, the actual uh, cable to make sure that the cable net always had the same amount of slack in it depending on how much weight was there they could adjust the cables they, they actually were fairly auto self-adjusting but they could actually adjust them more if they needed to so very cool very clever very simple and it was a great attraction it was a lot of fun to ride when they had it at uh, disney world now in 1994, they decided to close the one at Disneyland. And there was one incident where a guest, uh, turns out they had jumped out of, the, out of the car. There was a story that maybe they had fallen out, but they actually jumped out. And there was one incident at Disney World where there was a worker that was actually killed through an accident. It was sort of a negligence thing where he was doing work in an area he shouldn't have been in. He was a maintenance worker and someone turned on the attraction and he tried to grab the car to not get knocked off and he wound up falling. 
So it's unfortunate, but it was one of those uh, unusual set of circumstances that happens. So the Disney World one opened in 1971 with park opening and they closed it in 1999. So here we are 19 years later, 20 years later, and they're finally putting a replacement in, sort of. Now, why did it close really? Honestly, the only reason for it is economics. It costs something to run it. It costs something to maintain it. It wasn't a people eater. Uh, you know, they love attractions. Disney loves attractions that can move people through quickly. You know, you can get people on and off very quickly. Boop, 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 you're moving. And it takes very low maintenance. And, you know, that's the kind of thing they want. The Skyway was not that. Uh, it took a long time to load. It was about a five-minute ride across the park from one direction to the other. And it took, it took a while to load them. It was always a line there. there was always, it always took a little while to load. It obviously wasn't ADA compliant because you couldn't put a wheelchair in them and so forth. But they were, uh, because both the parks in the U.S. were in before they started all the ADA rules, they were grandfathered in so they didn't have to retrofit. So that's the way it worked. Now there is one other note here uh, that originally in the Disneyland version, when they first put it in, it was the cable car itself that was hanging, the gondola that was hanging, was designed by the Von Roll Corporation. And it was a two-person seat, uh, two seat uh, gondola that was, uh, that was going along. And it had this metal bar in the middle that was the post that they used to hold it onto the, uh, the, the cable above. And two-person seating really isn't effective. It doesn't really work so well. And that bar in the middle was really a problem. It was always a challenge. So in the early 1960s or so, um, Bob Gurr was commissioned to actually make a change. And he came up with a clever design that was a four-person seating vehicle that was made of a plastic. He couldn't change the weight of it, so uh, he had to actually change the design of it. So he came up with a plastic vehicle, or a, a plastic-like vehicle, a polymer, that it was actually a four-seater that had the hook in a different place, so that, that way it didn't have the metal post in the middle. And it made it easier to load and unload, and since you could put four guests in, you increased the capacity and you made it more efficient. So it was a really neat thing. And so when the Disney World version came around in 1971. It was the same design with the four-person seating. So kind of cool, you know, that they actually, he actually came up with something clever to, to redesign the whole, the whole idea. So Bob was really involved in a lot of interesting things, and I, I, I'm really glad I had an opportunity to talk to him at some point, uh, what was it, about two years ago when I had an opportunity to have him on this podcast. And if you haven't heard it, you should go back and listen to it. I'll put a link to it in my show notes page. He's an interesting guy. Got a lot of interesting things to say. So uh, I thought that was kind of fun and, you know, worth spending a few minutes on. Anyway, the story is that, you know, they, now, they're, now they're back in the gondola business. They want to get back into it. And the vehicles they've created are arguably safer. They're more ADA compliant. Uh, they actually are more efficient. And I think in the long run, they'll turn out to be uh, a better system than what they had in the theme parks. But, you know, here it is. It's you know, 40 years later, almost 50 years later. So it makes sense that they would actually be, uh, be a little bit more efficient and be a better system. But I can't wait to try them. I think it's really cool. I'm glad they're bringing it back, and I, I can't wait to try it. I just wanted to share with you some of the history of how the gondolas worked and the whole system and sort of my, my little memories of it. I mean, I remember riding the gondola. Just It was so much fun to be up there and above everybody else. It's one of the things that I remember best about Walt Disney World. Even as a little guy, just getting up there and riding on that gondola was so cool. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, there's, there's nothing scary about it except if you have a fear of heights maybe. But other than that, it was totally cool. And it was one of those things that I just really enjoyed and uh, glad I got an opportunity to ride. I'm sorry my kids never did, but now they can ride on the new gondola system. So I guess there's a win somewhere. Now, just one last thing before I let you go. 
So here's my somewhat absurd and fairly ridiculous story about renewing my annual pass. Now, I have a Florida resident annual pass, and it has a blackout date in over the summer. So for most of July and August, I can't use it. And most of June, too, actually, for that, for that matter. So it's not available for me to use. So a couple of years ago, they decided to extend the annual pass. They gave us an extra month free. Well, my annual pass happens to expire right at the beginning of June, because that's when it worked for me to go a lot of times, was right after uh, Memorial Day, I'd head up to the parks and I'd go in. So I, my annual pass worked for me to expire at that time, because that was when I first purchased it. No problem. But when they gave me the extra month, then it my expiration date now is in July during a blackout time when I can't be there. Now they do grace you. They say you can um, renew it 60 days prior and 30 days after its expiration date, and you can use it that way. And that's terrific, except for the fact that that means I have to renew it by early May because it's now July. And uh, what I typically do is I go in person and I use a combination of gift cards and cash to renew it. But I couldn't do that this year because of the timing. I wasn't going to be there anytime in May. I was uh, actually was there the first couple of days of May, but I missed the, the uh, window by a couple of days. So I, I called and I asked, hey, can I renew it anyway, even though it's a couple of days before the 60 days? Nope, sorry. I'm like, okay, that's great. No problem. So when I got back, I decided, all right, I'll try and renew it online using a couple of gift cards that I had. And I went online and nope, you can't do it with gift cards online. I couldn't find a way to do it anyway. So I sent an email to customer service and said, hey, can I do it with gift cards online or can I call? And they said, no, you can't do it online, but you can certainly call. Call this number and we'll be happy to help you. So I called and I was on the phone for 45 minutes. I got dial transferred three times to three different people who attempted to help me and they were pleasant enough, but could not help me. Under any circumstances, they couldn't do it. They could not use two gift cards to apply to my account. And I was getting frustrated. After 45 minutes on the phone, I was annoyed with them that it didn't work. And with the last lady, she goes, well, I'm sorry, I can't do it. I'll have to dial transfer you somewhere else. I'm like, no, here's my story. And I'm annoyed. And she goes, well, let me see what I can do. And she was gone for another five minutes. So I just hung up. What kind of customer service is that? What's, what's become of Disney? I just wanted to do something that was convenient for me, but they didn't make it easy. And I don't understand why they didn't make it easy. It's just one of those kind of stupid things when you go, why do they make things harder? And they think they know how to do it. And no one knows how to do it. They all thought, oh, I can do this, but no one could. It was just crazy, ridiculous, and kind of stupid. So that was my story, and I just couldn't quite figure out why it worked that way. And that is my podcast for this week. I hope you've enjoyed it. And remember, if we can dream it, we can certainly do it. Bye now. Thank you for tuning in to the Disney View podcast. We hope you had a pleasant stay and arrive home safely. Please remain seated until your ride vehicle stops completely. Then, gather your personal belongings and step out onto the moving platform. And yes, I know it went by so quickly, but don't worry. One of the nice things about traveling on this podcast is that the journey is just beginning. Show notes are available on DisneyWorldPodcast.net. While there... Please check out some of our affiliates. You'll also find links to Dave's iPhone and iPad apps. There's an app for pin trading, one for finding hidden Mickeys, and an app for finding and tracking pressed pennies around the Walt Disney World Resort. And you never know just what Dave is working on next. If you have questions, feel free to drop Dave an email at davesdisneyview at gmail.com. Original music you're hearing in this podcast is Oslo Doom by Gilberto Gil. Of course, this is a fan podcast and in no way affiliated with the Walt Disney Company. 